Here's the million dollar question. How do men like us reach our full potential and grow into the men we dream of being while taking care of our responsibilities, working, being good husbands, fathers, and still take care of ourselves? That's the question. This podcast will help you with those answers. My name is Brent and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. On today's show, I'm excited to have Lynn Bowman join us to give us real advice on how to stop eating crap, why we should be cooking, and dig into nutrition in a way we never had before. Guys, I brought on a nutritionist on the show before, but Lynn has a very different approach and a very different message, and she is going to blow your mind as we get into this. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And I, at, at the age of 75, I love the idea that I'm going to blow somebody's mind. That's very <laughs> exciting. I'm thrilled. Now, Let's Lynn, you wrote a book that we're going to get into a little bit later All right. called Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and people who love them. But Brownies for Breakfast was just this title that just jumped out. Uh, I actually have a copy on the way because we're always trying to adjust our nutrition and try and be mindful of that. Raising two children, uh, we have a wide variety with my mother living with us at 70 and my youngest daughter being seven. We have a wide nutritional range to adjust to in our house. And so I'm always looking for good input. And I saw some things on some of your YouTube videos because you have a lovely YouTube channel. You watched. Yes, ma'am. I did. Thank you. And I actually will reference a couple of those while we're going, because I really enjoyed some of them that you put out there and just some of the no nonsense cooking. Now I can do accolades and accomplishments all day, but I don't really do that on the show because that doesn't tell people who Lynn Bowman is. So will you tell us who are you? Well, I don't have any letters behind my name. And if I did, it would be my title that I prefer now is grandma. It's a good title. (laughs) I think it's the greatest title. And, and you know, maybe I'm snarky grandma or grandma who knows stuff. But uh, I, I came of age at a time when we women particularly didn't plan careers. You know, we couldn't be hired for anything anyway. The best colleges weren't co-ed and so on. And so we were brought up to be wives and mothers. And, and that was what we thought was going to happen. Uh, but it didn't. <laughs> I graduated from high school in 1964, and that was the year that we just started burning everything down. And um, and from that point, and, and I actually loved working. So I was at UCLA, but I didn't finish. I started work early and um, learned my trade communications on the job. And um, I've I've worked for companies, uh, Redken Laboratories, maybe a familiar name. Uh, uh, Gallo Winery, the largest winery in the world, worst job I ever had. So there were a lot. And I actually was the worst weather person ever at the NBC affiliate in North Carolina. But those those sort of resume items don't really mean much um, in the in the real sense of how we live and what we know and what we do. And what I'm doing now is a result of having lived most of my adult life as a diabetic and having been out there looking for what I should do. And, you know, what, because I was a single mom and my mother had died when I was young, when I was 18. And I was determined that I was going to stay alive and I was going to stay strong on my feet for my kids as well as myself. 
but I was not going to let them down. So that kind of took me off in a weird direction, looking for really good information about nutrition, about health, so that I, as a type two diabetic, could stay alive and stay strong. Uh, And what I learned was that the information that was coming out from the American Diabetic Association and from the doctor's office and various other places where, and this was of course pre-internet, most of it, um, the information just wasn't very good. I started thinking, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't really working. And um, I, I should say too, that I had the advantage of learning that I was a type two diabetic early in my life, in my early forties, because I had gestational diabetes thing that happens when you are pregnant, you are thrown into this state, this diabetic state, and then you come out of it after your pregnancy. But they told me then that you're likely to become type two diabetic later on in life in your forties. So, but then nobody wanted to test me. I mean, that's like, you're not overweight and you're okay. And don't worry about it. You're young. And then finally, when I talked to someone who did testing me, sure enough, I was over the borderline and I was a type two diabetic. So that's a thing I want to talk to, uh, especially you guys. Uh, y'all don't like doing, going to the doctor's office and you don't like being tested and you don't like thinking that you might have something, you know, that you need to, but I want you to get a hemoglobin A1C test every year. And because the downside, if you may know this about diabetes, type two diabetes, but if you don't know it, I'm going to tell you that there are no symptoms. You don't know you have it. You don't know that this is going on in your body, but it is destroying you from the inside out. So fellas, um, and one of the first ways it destroys you is with erectile dysfunction. So uh, think about that. On one hand, you have, okay, I can take care of myself. I can think about, I can get my tests. On the other hand, you have a very serious opportunity to damage your body in ways you don't really want to think about. So, uh, and another thing that, that sends people to the doctor late, too late, you lose feeling in your hands and feet. You can no longer tell you're damaging your hands or feet. And then ultimately you will end up having to have your legs, for example, typically amputated because you're diabetic. So I'm here because I don't want that for you. I want to be sort of grandma buzzkill here about maybe some things that you're going to do, but the downside is really bad. It, it, you know, I, I love being 75. I am happy as a pig in poop being 75. I am free and having fun and my life is really, really good. But I feel obligated to come out here and tell you that if that's what you want, if you want to be 75, mean as a snake, you know, dishing it out, I can tell you pretty much how to do that. And if you don't listen, then now you know what the downside is. So up to you. You need to make a decision about what you're going to be like when you're 75, if you're not there already. Guys, if you can't tell, this conversation is going to get real fun real fast. I'm so <laughs> excited. I'm so excited to hear someone else use the term pig, happy as a pig and poop. <laughs> because that is something that I would say, 
So it's nice to hear. Well, we're going else. there, aren't we, Brent? We're oh, just going to go there. Oh yeah, gloves are off today. Okay. Now, Lynn, I would normally ask someone what their favorite ice cream is, just mm -hmm. as a random question, because we all come together on ice cream. We do. Uh huh. That's true. Right. And that's but, why I'm here to save you. <laughs> exactly. But I, I didn't know if that would be appropriate with a type two diabetic. So what oh, I'm going to ask you absolutely. is because the whole secret is you can eat fabulous stuff, better stuff maybe than you've ever eaten. I'm going to open this to a page here because um, the whole idea is I want you to have really, okay, here's, it's called very, very good gelato. Look at that. Mm. Okay. That's nice looking. It's, it's divine. And not only that, but you can whoop it up in your kitchen in five minutes with stuff you have in your freezer. You take some fresh berries, you take some um, of the sugar substitutes that we're going to talk about and pour some in there and a little bit of vanilla and you do your little mini processor and, and I'm telling your kids will love it. You will love it. It's fantastic. I tell you the what, Lynn, is you got to be in the kitchen a little bit. You I will actually it. make that. The cookbook's on its way. I will yeah. make that out and test it on my kids as soon as I get the cookbook. Thank you. Just so I can share it out on social media uh, and put a note on this video and when the, it comes out. Brent, the, the book is not all sweets, even though the title is Brownies <laughs> for Breakfast. Oh, it's, it's, no. There's a lot of savory food in it, too. But we all know sweets are our downfall. Come on, that's the thing. And it is, if this is news to you, I'd be surprised, but I'm going to talk about it. The food industry works hard to addict you to sugar. And it is more addictive. To, all the data is there. Sugar is more addictive than heroin. And if you said to me, yeah, I'm addicted to heroin, would I say, well, why didn't you try cutting back? Would I say that? No. Granny Buzzkill here. I would say, drop it like a hot rock right now. Get yourself into rehab. Stop. You're killing yourself. But you can do it. And, and so, and it's tools uh, like I've got in the book. It's simple. It's not complicated. But you need to do it. Now you you may... need to acknowledge what it is. You've been had. You have been hooked. Worse than by a street dealer, you've been hooked by a whole industry. An industry has been working very hard, making billions, to put your sorry butt in a bad place. Now, so You're breaking my heart because I am a Southern boy and a piece of pecan pie sounds like an excellent breakfast to me. Mm -hmm. So I was really hoping your cookbook was full of a whole lot of those recipes, but it sounds like there's some. Oh, there are some. Okay. The best pumpkin pie you've ever had is in here. Hello. Um, if, if what we're talking about is desserts, well, <laughs> and I start with breakfast because to me, why not have that for breakfast? Ah. Do you think your mom might like that? Do you think your eight-year-old, your 10-year-old might like that? A donut with pink frosting and sprinkles? There's no sugar in this. There's no, no flour in this. It's made with 
pumpkin and nut butter and monk fruit and vanilla and some stuff, um, little stuff, spices, you know. But the secret is you're not eating over-processed wheat flour full of gluten. You're eating pumpkin and nut butter, which combines when you bake stuff to be this perfect fake for flour and sugar and oil. Only it's all great whole food. So I'm going to say it, whole food plant-based is what we're talking about. That was the next question is, do you fall into a specific camp? But before we get there, Sarah, our my lovely wife and engineer, wants to know if that's keto-friendly. Very keto-friendly. But keto has limitations that whole food plant-based doesn't. So, I mean, and again, I, I hope you understand that everything that I'm talking about is science-based. I didn't put anything in this book because I've got people right in my family who will be on my neck if I screw up here. If it's not based on good peer-reviewed data, it's not in the book. I didn't make this stuff up. And I offer myself as proof. It does work. You know, so yes, uh, keto is it? I whole food plant-based isn't a diet. It's, um, what is it? It's a way of thinking about food. And that is that if you don't process or over-process the food, you don't take the value out of food. You whole food plant-based means real food, actual food. Okay. You're, you're, you're heading into scary territory. I'm, I'm a gym rat. I love uh -huh. lifting heavy. I, I move big weight for, especially for an office guy, not nothing yeah. professional or anything like that, but yeah. especially for an office guy, I, I move big weight. I eat a lot of protein. Mm -hmm. and, and you should, you the, should eat pro plant protein. Absolutely. And there's so many ways to do it that most people go, what? That's protein. Yeah, that's protein. And you know a lot of this, Brent, already. Beans and peas and um, cassava, for Pete's sake, has um, protein in it. Uh, there are all kinds of ways to get protein from plants. And I also, I eat fish. I eat salmon and shrimp. Uh, I'm not totally, totally vegan. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I have been. I can breathe I a little easier. And, and the story that I like to tell is that I had the book about half written. And I went to a conference that I saw was coming up in Oakland, not too far from me. And I'm not even sure why I did this because it wasn't typical for what I do. Something called the Plantricians Conference. And it was a thousand MDs, docs from all over the world, including some big names, T. Colin Campbell, if you read anything about nutrition, he's huge. And uh, Dean Ornish was gonna be there. So I thought, you know, I don't know if I'll get another chance to do this. I'm going to go uh, and took a lot of money out of my pocket. I'm frugal. So that's, that's hard. <laughs> I spent and I showed up in Oakland at this conference and, and I had a little promotional piece done about the book about brownies for breakfast because I wanted to kind of get a sense from these medicals for what do you think? Is this something you'd use in your practice? You know, how would this work? Because I was doing it as a professional communicator what I wanted to do was to say to these docs, 
You're great docs, all y'all, but you're lousy communicators. You are not getting these messages out to people. You are not talking to your patients in a way that they get it, you know? So let's, let's partner up. Well, for five days, I sat through uh, PowerPoint presentations from eight in the morning until eight at night. Not fun. Oh, it was though. That's commitment. Um, so I, and I had my mind blown because I learned things. I mean, after having studied type two diabetes and nutrition and all this, the big mind blower was, okay, carbs, they kind of matter. It's the quality of the carb. A calorie is not a calorie. It's the quality of what you're getting in that carb that matters in your strength, in your energy, in your health. So that's one. And then two, here's the big one. What actually causes the problem getting your glucose into your muscles and your system is not carbs. We always thought the problem is that you're, you've got too many carbs going through your blood, uh, going through your system, too many carbs. Well, no, that's not the problem. The problem is that your system can't take up the glucose out of your blood because it's blocked by animal fat. Hmm. Yeah, animal fat. And it was, and I mean, mind you, all my life, adult life as a diabetic, I'd been eating, I mean, I never saw a pork chop I didn't like and steak and all of it. That was, I ate like an American basically, except I cut back on my carbs. So, and I was probably more careful about organic and, you know, having more vegetables and all those things. But now I am looking at the best minds in the world, probably. And they're saying it's animal fat kids. And they talked and they showed slides and some of them weren't very pretty. They talked about opening up kids eight and 10 who had their veins full of plaque from guess what? Eating animal fat. And so I did, I, I had to really, really rethink my book. And after five days of that, my husband picked me up to take me home. And I jumped in the car and I said that thing that every man dreads. You never want to hear this. Honey, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> it's right up there with, we got to talk. Right. <laughs> and to his credit, he said, what? <laughs> I said, I'm a vegan now. And there was a silence, you know, in the car, I don't know, a few blocks, mile or two. And he said, okay, I'm in. And so I ran an experiment on myself with his cooperation on him too for six months. And I had just had my numbers done. So I knew exactly what my hemoglobin A1C was and my lipids and all the rest of it. And I, um, so for six months, I didn't eat one single bite of any animal, anything, no dairy, no cheese, no meat, no nothing. And um, interesting what happens to your body. It is interesting. First of all, you, you start dropping weight. Um, it's, it's really hard to maintain too much weight 
if you're eating tons of vegetables. So that's number one. Um, and I felt great. I was fine, uh, happy, and so on. I didn't, and we'll come back to this because we'll, we'll, people want to know, well, what do you miss? Don't you crave this and crave that? So we're going to talk about that. But so the result of my experiment was I went back to my regular physician after six months and had new blood work. And guess what? Um, my hemoglobin A1C had gone down three points, which if you understand what those numbers are, that's good. That's really good. And what my physician said was, Lynn, this just doesn't happen. In people your age, it just doesn't happen. Well, it did. So there you are. Um, so let's go back to what happens to you when you make the change uh, and do a whole food plant-based way of eating. Um, things, your chemistry changes, your saliva changes. So what used to taste fantastic to you, Oreos or whatever ungodly, terrible thing you were eating, um, nothing personal, but you know, I know what you're doing in front of the TV at 11 o'clock at night. I know. So your saliva actually changes. And incredible as this sounds, you don't want it anymore. You have done rehab. You have unhooked yourself. And when I now have eat even one little bite of something with actual sugar in it, it doesn't taste good to me. It tastes icky to me. And it makes me thirsty. So your body changes to accommodate your program, whatever it is. If it's a bad program, unfortunately, your body's going, well, okay, this is what you want to do. So it has to make adjustments. But if you're looking for more strength, more agility, better joints, better muscles, running faster, being smarter, all that. And you, have you read about the connection between brain and gut and how the research is coming back that so much of our dementia problems are food diet related? Sugar is a big one. It's a big one. It's huge. So, yeah, um, let's get you unhooked, you guys who really want to be strong. Now, there are a lot of people who will argue different diets all the time. Um, oh, yeah. It's interesting the variety of camps because I've, and this is no offense, I've heard the same spill from the carnivore diet guys, like the exact same showing their blood work uh -huh. from the carnivore and guys. And for a short period of time, that works. But I, can I, I quote one of my favorite singers. I love Swamp Rock, by the way. Um, I want to live long enough to do a show about Swamp Rock because they're not getting their due. A guy named Paul Thorne. And he says, and he was a boxer before he, when he was starting his career. He says, everybody looks good at the starting line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's later on when the, the marathon, life is a marathon. Right. Who's still upright? Who's still singing? Who still looks good 100 miles down the road? That's what I want for people. And the, the evidence, the, the science is, is all out there. 
And you can look it up and you can pick and choose and cherry pick, as they like to say, for to support whatever you want to do. But the other thing is meat is not just meat. I live in an area where a number of people are raising grass-fed beef, pork, lamb, truly grass-fed. Mm-hmm. So it's not finished on corn, doesn't get shipped. So these cows, steers, um, chickens, too, are pasture-raised. That's a different product, totally different product than what you're buying in Safeway. And if you choose to eat meat, eat good stuff. Don't, for Pete's sake, eat factory farmed meat because it's not good for you. Not good for the animal. That's a whole other thing. But there is so much, and particularly people a lot of times say to me, what are the like three things that you really recommend? What are, what are the top three things you should do? Well, you already know, number one, quit sugar now, today. Just quit. Number two, quit dairy. Because unless that cow is standing outside your house and looking at you and you know her name, you do not know and you don't want to know what they're putting in the milk. It's antibiotics. It's feed that you would never feed your animals. They're crowded. You know, these are not happy animals. These are sick animals. And you are eating the result of that. Most parents kind of have a familiarity with this. If they've ever had a kid with a runny nose or allergies, one of the first things that your pediatrician is going to say to you is drop dairy, you know, drop the milk because it's highly allergenic for a lot of kids. And most of us as adults, we, we can't tolerate it well. You don't know what's making your tummy hurt. You don't know what's making your skin look kind of dull. You don't know what's causing a lot of these effects. But when you really quit dairy, trust me, you're going to go, oh, okay. So I'm all right. Uh, You'll feel better. Uh, And again, I'm not making this up. I'm just delivering the bad news. (laughs) The good news is you will eat better than you've ever eaten once you make a decision that, and you know, if you're going to go keto, okay, but um, paleo, and the whole paleo idea of just eat what your ancestors ate. Well, here's some truth about that. They certainly didn't eat three meals a day. They didn't even eat two meals a day. They ate when they could eat. And a lot of it, most of it, was what the ladies went out and gathered in the forest and in the field. They were foraging. That was most of their food. So are you foraging? Uh, Paleo people, are you foraging? Are you picking dandelions and... Uh, purslane and and stuffing your face with those because great yeah that's really good food um but the paleo idea that you should be eating steak three times a day plus eggs and so on sorry it just doesn't hold up when they slice you open and look at your veins trust me 
it's not going to be a pretty picture. I may cry before this is over. Just, no, just be forewarned. No, 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 no. I, I'm a if massive steak and eggs guy. In the book for salmon, I, I'm a massive you, steak and eggs guy. Huh? I'm a big steak and eggs guy. You know, we live in a country, it's called the standard American diet. Sad. The sad diet. Most of us are eating lousy bread, overprocessed white bread and meat two or three times a day. And we also have 85% or better chronic disease in this country that is entirely preventable with diet and exercise. Take that one in. And the problem with chronic disease, and here's one, I'm, I'm going to get a little ugly on you for a minute. Most, and I love men. I'm married to a wonderful man. I have a grown son. I have many male friends, but men always like, they think they're going to die in a flaming crash. They think it's going to be fast and furious. They think they're going to go off a cliff or out of an airplane, right? When you see yourself in older life, you see yourself, boom, and you're gone. That's not how it happens. Most of y'all have a long, slow decline during which your wives, mothers, and kids get to wait on you hand and foot because you no longer are able to do much. Because you never went to the dock, one. Two, you eat crap. And three, you don't move frequently. So it's when you picture how your life is going to end, I, I would like you to be honest with yourself <laughs> about whether or not you're doing the things that will keep you doing what you love, keep you running and playing and, and dancing and, and all that until you do just fall over. I mean, that's what I want for myself too. I want someone to come out and take me off my horse. It's my God, she's dead and she's still in the saddle, right? And somebody needs to just go get her. That's what I want for myself and for you. But what you're doing now is almost surely taking you on a path that ends in a wheelchair, in one of those beds that pulls up, and you've got all these people ignoring you. <laughs> you know, you're getting bad care in a nursing home somewhere. I don't want that for you. And you can prevent it, but you can't prevent it by eating too much meat. By, by not paying attention to what you're eating. And the main thing, Brent, is somebody has to go in the kitchen and cook something, make something. It's simple. The stuff in my book is all so easy. I mean, you're going to go, wait, three ingredients? Seriously? Yeah, that's all it is. So much of this stuff is really simple, but somebody has to do it. And the way the industry has gone is that we're all driving through all the time. Your wives are driving through. Your girlfriends are driving through. And it's, honey, bring me a pizza. Um, you are not going to get good food, nutritious food, driving through. Sorry, you're not. doesn't exist. And if you really knew and really thought about what was in those chicken things... <laughs> Um, and by the way, chicken was always saying, yeah, well, white meat is it? No, chicken is the most tainted food you can eat. 
It's seriously tainted and it is seriously polluting anywhere that they're factory farming chicken. The stream of crap that goes out of that farm, you should be ashamed of. I hope you are. Um, let's not do that. Let's not contribute to that. If you want chicken, you're going to have to have a neighbor that's raising the chicken. You're going to have to have them in your backyard. Okay. But the chicken that you buy at Costco is pumped full of salt. And people say to me, what about salt? Can, you know, if you're on a low salt diet, you can really eat all the salt you want if you're sprinkling it on or putting it in your own recipes. It's the salt in processed food that is the problem. Because if you're reading the labels on this stuff, really honestly reading the labels, you go, wait, there's 2000 milligrams in this bag. You know, I just ate that whole bag. That's right. You did. You, you ate two days worth of salt in one bag of chips and you just narfed it down. So, and another thing, let's talk about when you eat. Can we do that? We can. Okay. Wait, <laughs> wait, before you go there. I wanted to share with you actually uh, on the salt thing. I interviewed a guy named Ari Granich. He's one of the foremost uh, trainers, like rack up the gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist huh? trainers and nutritionists. And we were talking about nutrition. He told me that common table salt that they serve in the United States is like 40% powdered glass. Well, he said that is one of the leading causes of uh, Ari's hardening and higher cholesterol because it's going through your veins and making micro cuts, which your body ups the production of cholesterol to try and fix all these micro cuts that your body's experiencing from. Interesting. I'd like to see salts. the data on that. I'll follow up on that. Um, and we have all these lovely fancy salts now. The yeah. He's, he's good with like uh, Celtic sea salt or right. like the pink Himalayan salt or whatever. You said just and like the processed table stuff. Most cooks are using those. Uh, typically, you'll use like a kosher salt in your boiling water. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the table stuff, you like to put on the pretty pink stuff or, you know, the kind of uh, sexier salts. Um, and they they are lovely to cook with. So the, uh, the other problem there is iodine because we're accustomed to iodized table salts. So right. many of us. I've had iodine it. that way. And you have to have maybe another way of getting iodine if you're not eating iodized table salt. But cranberry I, I juice, pure cranberry juice is good that. for that. His name is Ari Gronick and I can okay. see his name afterwards. But yeah, okay. it was a, it was an interesting conversation, but I'm not like a lot of people are afraid of salt. I don't think salt is bad. No, salt is not I bad. have gotten rid of that kind of table salt, but I already like the pink Himalayan stuff anyways. Um, it's good. But yeah, I just, it's like, it was nice to, hey, she's not afraid of salt. Salt's okay. It's all Salt's the okay. process junk they're dumping in it. Is a smoky salt. There are a number of different ones that you can get. Mm -hmm. um, it's salt that has a smoke flavor. So you sprinkle that on certain things and you go, whoa, it's like having bacon in it without all the mm -hmm. greasy, yucky stuff. But I mean, it's, you know, it's flavor you want. Right. I want flavor too. I want you to have flavor. I just don't want you to have grease in your gullet. Okay. Let's get into timing. I, I hated to interrupt, but I thought you'd find that part interesting. So very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get so, into timing. That's where you're going, right? Let's yeah. get into it. Um, yeah. 
So timing. Okay. You're not going to like this either. Now I'm a little familiar with the idea of nutritional timing just because I spend so much time in the gym. I'm yes. actually part of the way through my certified NASM certified personal trainer course and nutritionalist as well. Good. Uh, so it's something I pay attention to. And a lot of active gym people understand that there's some nutrient timing. Yes. Um, and the and basics of you, don't eat right before bed, right? That's what we all hear. And that's that's true. But it, even more, and where, where my information comes from, first person to actually introduce me to this concept mm-hmm. is a friend who's an Ayurvedic doc. And so we work together a lot on, on Ayurveda, which is so interesting if you have a chance to, to get to know those food principles. But the main thing that, that is a real difference is timing. And he taught me that, and, and again, this is, this is science-based, but this is a more kind of poetic way of thinking about it. And that is that in the height of the day, your body is at the height of its burning of its activity. It wants to digest food. It's all set up. It's going. As the day wanes and the sun starts fading away, it wants your body wants to be done with that function. It wants to move on because at night is when, and, and this is another striking thing. If you don't know this, I hope you, you do. Everyone needs to understand that the only time your body is really healing itself is in deep sleep, deep sleep. So first you have to get that deep sleep and it's typically gonna be in the middle of the night. So that's when the night crew is there and it's cleaning and doing all this stuff. So if you're still sending pizza through at 11 or 12 o'clock at night in front of Jimmy Kimmel or somebody, your, your cleanup crew is going, wait, he's, there's another pizza. Okay, get stand back, you know, so we can't clean. So the pizza's coming through. So your body has to, shift itself to stay in in um food processing mode digestive mode when it should be in cleaning mode so actually you need to be done eating before it gets dark um and in in my life i have the uh, privilege of being able to be done eating at two or three in the afternoon um, sometimes four that's it done. And what that does is it gives you much better sleep. It allows you to sleep much more deeply and in a more healing way. And, you know, the word now is fasting and intermittent fasting. It also gives your body a break from eating, which we, in the American diet, we're eating all the time, right? People are eating all day, all night long. So yeah, if you can eat when the sun is burning or in the winter, when it is at least up there behind the clouds. So, you know, starting whenever you start in the morning, nine, eight, nine, ten, and then be <laughs> done as soon as you can in the afternoon. And of course that totally interferes with most families timing. Um, it means that you have a great meal at two in the afternoon, like some countries uh, do. It means that your your bigger meal is more in the center of your day. And it, it means that your breakfast is a real meal, possibly 
some, a lot of people eat one meal a day and that's fine. Nothing wrong with it. If it's good food, whole food, plant-based. If you are eating nutrient dense food, good food, you can eat as much of it as you want. I never measure. I never keep a journal. I never count calories. I don't even know anymore how many carbs I'm having. I mean, I sort of eyeball, boy, a lot of carbs in that, but I don't count any of it. I don't want you counting. I want you to enjoy your food and not feel guilty and not be, you know, stressing about what you're eating and how much of it and so on. I want you just to eat away and love every bite of it. And part of the strategy for that is eating at a time in the middle of the day when your body wants to eat, when your body's set up to take in food. But that means, folks, that at the end of the day, no, you're done. Uh, And I would just challenge you to try it. Try it for a few days. Try it for a week and see how it feels to you and see what happens. What happened to me over time was I just stopped being hungry at night. I mean, it's just, it's creating a different habit. When your body does not expect food at nine o'clock at night, when you've eaten nutrient dense, healthful, whole food, plant-based food earlier in the day, you don't need chips. You don't need Oreos. You don't, you don't want more because you also know that you're going to sleep better and have better digestion and all that goes with digestion if you stop eating at a decent hour. Maybe it's five, maybe it's even six, but um, I'll bet money that y'all are on the couch eating at eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And I know what you're eating and I want you to stop. (laughs) Now for all of our intermittent fasting friends out there, because we do, my wife and I have both done intermittent fasting it's just moving your eating window earlier in the day instead mm-hmm. of waiting. Um, like I'm notorious for going like 12 to six, 12 in the afternoon to 6 PM. It's generally where I tried to keep that eating window when I was doing it. Uh, my day also starts at 4 AM most days. So yeah, it's a challenge for us. Well, it, it's not really because I like when I'm going to my job, I prepack my food anyways, or Sarah, I should say prepacks my food for me. And so, you know, I get to work. Did I tell you that? What? You're a lucky man. I am. I'm incredibly blessed. She's amazing. But, you know, I, I just take it with me and I, it's nothing for me to eat my first meal at 5am because I've already been up and going for over an hour at that point. So for some of us, that wouldn't be as big of a shift. It's just shifting when our eating window is. Um, now in our culture, I think there's some cultural implications that make this a little more difficult for people, right? Because people work all shifts now, right? Used to everybody kind of worked with the sun. Shift work is, is really challenging. I mean, the medicals. Oh my gosh. Sarah and I both worked night shift for years. Uh, No matter how long you do it, it's still brutal on your body. You don't realize the impact it actually has on your brain uh, until you get off it. I I got off night shift. My dad was like, I've been on my shift for about two weeks. My dad was like, oh, there you are. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see you again. Yeah. Um, because I just, after several years on nights, I didn't even realize like, oh, I'm slightly a different person when I have sleep at a normal time. Yeah. But because of that change, right. We have this, I hate the term hustle culture, 
you and I were talking before the show, right? You know, I work a full-time job. Mm -hmm. I do this and a bunch of other stuff. I told you I'm studying for multiple training certifications at the same time while I'm running a business and doing a job and trying to be a dad and a husband. We're taught to embrace this hustle culture. I really, like I said, don't like the term, but that tends to make our days longer than they were naturally meant to be. It also tends to stretch out that eating because we have to keep going for longer periods of time to feel like we're getting, I mean, that's the one thing we're all fighting for, right? We can't get more time. Nothing we do gives us quote unquote more time in the day. And so we're trying to squeeze oh, as I, many hours out of it as possible. I, I would argue with you just that what I want is for you to have more good time right. in your late years now, but also this is buying you more good time right. in the long term. No, no, that's if not you, what I meant. I mean, we're all looking for more time in the day to get more done, right. to get more accomplished right. because we are embracing this. We got to work longer hours. We got to do more. We got to do more as prices go up. We got to work harder. We got to work longer. And so it really starts to impact and your I've sleep. Been there, Brett, and I raised, I was a single mom, had mm -hmm. three little ones, just boom, boom, boom. And they were, I was a single mom, but from the time they were two, three, and four. And so I worked my tush off. Um, right. But what I decided was that what I was not going to give up was supper with them. When we came home, me from work, them from school, daycare, whatever, we would sit at a table and eat a meal. So I, my superpower is I know how to put on a meal in 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, and that's where a lot of the book came from is I, I don't love being in the kitchen all day. I, I just figured out how to get her done and put a meal on the table. So my kids could sit with me at the table so that we had that together because, and I'm a believer, you and I started talking about this too. Kids learn what they need to know from you at the table. And, and this, I'm sounding a little granny here, but if you, if your kids never use utensils or napkins or learn how to pass things at the table or learn how to talk around a table and take turns or learn how to set a table or clean off a table and help you're depriving them of some really serious information that they need in the world. I think, you know, if you want to, so you have to think about whether those Mandarin classes or the uh, Taekwondo or the baseball or whatever it is, you, the kids really need to have you and they need to have your table as part of their education. So if that's been thrown out of the Conestoga wagon it, to make space for the baseball and whatever else is going on, I want you to think about that, you know? Um, and does the kid need three sports? Is, is one enough? Um, hello? Does the kid need three languages? Or maybe is one or two enough? Because... Honestly, I'm meeting people who literally have never eaten with utensils at a table when I'm out and about and talking about this stuff. The last, the, the, the two youngest generations have been raised on drive-through. That's what they know is food. And mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you, it's not. 
you, you touched on it for a second. I, I can't, I got to pipe in as a former youth minister. I spent a lot of years working with kids, parents, parents. I, you know, I, when I was a youth minister, I didn't have my own kids. So I tried not to tell parents how to parent. I now have little kids and I'm still making the same argument I made as a youth minister. Parents, I love you. I would never disrespect your job that you're doing as a parent, but stop trying to make your kids busy. Busy yeah. is not fulfillment. Busy yeah. is just busy because that's what we're told as adults to be is to busy, busy. I worked with kids who were doing exactly in four different choirs, one girl in four different choirs, two different drama teams, part-time job, helping around the house and coming to youth group while going to running start. Sorry. No. I was just blown away. It's like, uh, no, no, slow it down. Now I was raised with a, you call it kitchen table culture. I was raised, my family's very Southern uh, until actually my oldest daughter, the last thing I got to tell my grandmother was that my wife was pregnant with our oldest daughter. Oh, sweet. Um, but she lived with us from the time I was two until she passed away. Like she lived with my family and then with my parents until she passed away. And so lucky. she was a little farm wife at 14. Her husband yeah. fought in the wars. They got married. He was 19. She was 14. And yeah. she was a little farm wife in Texas at 14. My mom was raised between the farmhouse and their house in town because my grandfather was a fireman. And so we were raised with, I mean, the kitchen being the center of our house is where we entertain, it's where we visit. Holidays were amazing because we would sit around the table all day. We'd have breakfast or whatever. Talk. And then we'd sit there and play cards or dominoes mm -hmm. and drink iced tea and coffee and just whittle the day away until we saw for lunch. Yeah. Then we'd eat that and clear that off the table and go back to playing cards and talking and I was raised with that being food and the kitchen and dining room area were just the center of the house. I hate yeah. my house because of the galley kitchen. It's like this tiny little traditional. It, oh, it makes me crazy because I love to cook. I was raised cooking. I like to teach my daughters cooking. Good. And so having this tiny little kitchen in my house, is just like, no. But we moved into this whole idea of we have to be busy and we keep shortcutting the important things like quality sleep. Yeah. I actually just uh, was editing this week's podcast. And one of the things I kind of went on and ran on in the podcast that will come out tomorrow is sleep, sleep. You need a good quality mattress and you need good quality sleep to let your body rebuild, to give you a chance to have a good foundation. And you prioritize it. And so, and, you know, yeah. we, we shortcut sleep, we shortcut nutrition. We shortcut exercise to be busy, 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 busy. Netflix, our cell phones. I hate these what things. What your kids need is you. That's what they need. And um, and table. Uh, the other thing that I worry about is that parents are not. How do you get your kids to eat this? And that? It's easy. If they cook it, they'll eat it. If they help in the kitchen, if they prepare, if they're learning at your side how to do this, it stops being an issue because they're making it themselves and they're seeing what goes into it. And I, I don't know how many times I've said, you are not their servant, you're their teacher. 
So if you are basically just being chauffeur and maid for your kids, what you're teaching them is that they need a chauffeur and a maid. And I, my generation uh, it talks a lot about the fact that we were basically feral. You know, we were let out in the morning and we came back at night and it's like, oh, come on in, you know, and, and we had forts up in the mountains and we rode horses we never should have ridden. And we did all this stuff that the parents had no idea that probably would have had a heart attack if they'd known what we were doing. Um, but it was very different. And, and we grew up with a different mentality about, and people have asked me over the years, um, you know, where do you get your confidence? You know, like, how, where does that come from? Well, feral. I didn't have anybody telling me what I couldn't do a lot of the time. I mean, you know, as a female, we were sort of boxed in and we we knew there was this thing down the road that that as adults, we were going to have to toe the line and be pretty and smart and have a nice house and blah, blah, blah. But in the meanwhile, we were out there, you know, throwing rocks and um, riding scooters down hills, just having a good time. I often lament the way that society has changed to the fact where like I, I grew up, especially like during the summer, right. You know, for school, mom had definite you're in by this time, but during the summer I was out the door as soon as I consumed something sometimes before yeah. that. And the rule was we had to come home when the streetlights came on and that was, that was coming back to the house. Now on like where I was to junior high, I lived on a cul-de-sac with like seven other kids. Yeah. So the rule got moved to, okay, you have to be back on the street when the lights come on. And then we go down to one of the guy's house. He had a big yard and we go play flashlight tag and stuff in the dark. And our moms would well, just scream the out the door. We had, gangs. we had, we had bunches of kids mm-hmm. that we did stuff with the kids. The, our, our mothers were off playing canasta and drinking, uh, Manhattans, you know, uh, they didn't want to be <laughs> chasing us around. We had a bunch of kids. I, I can't um, imagine with the way things have moved, shifted as an adult. I don't, I don't want to feel this way, but I would not feel safe letting my 10 year old run loose at this point. Not no, in this town. And, no, the, the world has changed, but, but I think one of the things that, that parents really need to look at is that time spent in the car might be good time with your kids. But what I'm seeing mostly is the kids have their electronics in front of their face. And uh, mom sometimes does, well, she's driving too, but that's another thing. Um, But it's not quality time together. And the only place I know where that really seems to happen is at the table. And I can see And I know families are doing, I can see that, you know, in a restaurant, sitting down in a restaurant together and having someone else do the cooking, I can see the appeal of that too, with as busy as everyone is. But um, there's nothing like making your food yourself and having an understanding of where it comes from, what it is. You know, having a kid know how to order off a menu is not a skill uh, that is highly prized. I think, um, that I wouldn't be on my list anyway. Um, I think kids, kids also need to know 
what goes into your time, your day. Um, you know, you, you, you need to be not the one who's always loading the dishwasher and running the vacuum. The kids need to participate in your life that way. And if they're going to five choirs and six languages, it, it's not going to happen. Um, I don't know. I, it, it's a thing that we need to figure out as a culture. We really do need to figure out how to be less busy uh, because the most exciting things that happen, I don't know if you know Paul Stamets work with uh, mushrooms, mm. um, but he's a, a famous uh, mycologist and uh, interesting guy. And like so many pioneers, he, he found what he found because he was wandering in the woods and he looked down and he saw these wonderful things. We are not allowing our children to wander in the woods in any metaphorical sense either. We're not allowing them any free time or any exploration that is so necessary to their development. And there's nothing more primitive and more important in that regard than food. I, I love growing food with kids. I like having kids out in the garden with me. And kids love it. They, you know, if they can slow down for a little while to actually understand what a carrot is and what it looks like under the ground and, and then they want to eat it because they're interested. So I, I would hope that food would not be an afterthought, would not just be a thing that we're stuffing in their little gullets in our own. We need to to have it be a, a communion, you know, uh, a sacrament. It's, it's our connection with each other and with the earth. Is there anything more important than that? We had, I don't a, know what it is. We had a garden this year. So I, I, I stink at growing things. I, I kill everything, but my mom can grow anything. And so my entire back patio over spring and summer this year, turn into a garden with in planters, right? You can do that. Yes. Oh, yeah. She covered it, but she spent all summer gardening with my daughters and letting them see the food grow and, you know, learning Good. what yeah. it looks like as it develops and how it goes from this to that and how to do it. And they had so a important. fabulous time pulling yeah. off like the first tomatoes and the first right. cucumbers uh, it was I, such an incredible experience for them. And we, we're all talking about food prices now, you know, and we're in, we're going to see this pressure, but people don't stop and realize that some of the best food you can eat is free. And I mean, free. Uh, and I'll give you two quick examples. Both are in the book. One, blackberries. There is nothing better for you in the universe, blackberries, just pick them and eat them, be a bear. Um, they're they freeze, you can cook them, you can preserve them. They are, they are the most wonderful food, blackberries. And I don't know about where you guys are, I think probably it's true too where you are in Washington, but here in Northern California, I can literally walk out my back door. And if, 
if we were gone for two years, this whole place would be covered in blackberries. We have to fight them off. Yep. Blackberries love it here. And you're going to get scratched up, but they're free for the picking. So that's one. And two, um, uh, and uh, I call it celery and drag, rhubarb. You plant it once. And it grows and grow, and it comes back every year. It's the first thing to come up in spring. It's beautiful. It's pink. You can make a gorgeous dessert out of it. It tastes good straight it's out of the ground. It's a vegetable. It's a vegetable. And it's free. It just comes up every year. You don't have to do a thing to it. I mean, it doesn't really even care if you fertilize it or clip. Oh, you do. You have to clip the blossoms off. Excuse me. You're, you're supposed to clip those blossoms off. But there's so many other things. The apples on our tree. We have, we have three apple trees, old, wonderful apple trees that are no particular kind of apple. And I've just read some interesting research this morning that dried apple peels and also whole apples are healing in all these. They, they actually reduce joint pain. They actually do lengthen your life. Research. Apple pills have uh, natural Apple. aspirin, aspirin in them. Apples. They're a, they're a natural aspirin, actually. So, and you just go and pick them. You know, and it's a it's around here. It's hard to get somebody to even pick them because they're just falling off the trees, and we don't want the deer to get all of them. So, it, they're they're just there for you. And if you're looking for it, there is so much of this plenty coming from the earth, and and we need to continue to cultivate. And even if you're in a food desert in the city, now you can usually get help because people want to turn lots into gardens and have food growing that everyone can have access to. It's very important. But if you're not eating food that is coming out of the dirt and then onto your table and into your kitchen, you're not going to be healthy. That's the only way you can be healthy. And I don't care if it's keto or paleo or whatever. And I can almost guarantee that if you're paleo, you're not eating food that you're sourcing yourself. You're, you're buying that stuff at Safeway. I was going to say, I sourced it straight from Walmart. Come on. Yeah. Right? And it's wrapped in plastic <laughs> and the whole thing. So, yeah. So Lynn, yeah. I, I, I got to ask the question then. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, we, we've talked a lot about food. We've talked about a lot of nutrition, but here, here's the mighty question, right? This is where we started with is we're such a drive through go, go, go fast food. I, I, I was a construction worker for years. I ate a lot of gas station delis, uh, greasy spoons, right? The worst places you can possibly eat. Yeah. How do we stop eating the crap? How do we move in a positive direction? Stop eating the crap. First is to make a decision to understand how much damage you're doing to yourself and your children and make a decision that you're going to change. That's the thing I see people really struggling with. You, you have to commit, you have to make a decision. And then I would say, we talked about this a little bit earlier and of course, get my book because it tells you, it tells you exactly what to buy how to store it, what, how to read a label. It's all in there. 
but it's it's a fun read. I promise you, it's not boring, it's not stupid, and it's it's even attractive. I think it's pretty. You'll enjoy looking at it, and because it's all simple stuff, it's not complicated. But you do have to quit sugar. I mean, quit. And I would recommend highly that you quit dairy. And if you're going to cheat, cheat on a really great artisanal cheese of some kind that is local and that you know who made it. That's that's kind of, you know, I can understand that. I love cheese. But basically quit dairy. So um, and then do the best you can cooking. I also highly recommend, and this is one that people go, wow, really? Dark greens, which you're probably not eating much of at all because you're thinking salad. But when I think dark greens, I, I would like to see you having dark greens three times a day. So in smoothies, clipped up on your eggs. Um, and eggs are not dairy, by the way. Eggs are chickens. They're not dairy. Um, and, and they're good for you, basically, if you're sourcing them well, if you're buying chickens that are raised well, they're fine. But dark greens, three times a day, I keep a ton in my freezer, I pull out the chopped spinach, I can do all kinds of things with it, uh, uh, arugula, we all joke about, I've got a garden full of it, it grows like crazy, it's so easy to grow, and it's delicious, and it smells great, and I eat it all the time. So no sugar, no dairy, lots of greens. Those are the things that you're probably not doing that I would highly encourage you to start today and experiment with yourself. See how you feel. See if it doesn't make a difference that you really like. Hey guys, let me share with you. I, uh, I caught in one of your videos uh, that you did on your YouTube channel where you broke down 12 pieces of advice that you actually have in your book like yeah. a specific dedicated page, 12 pieces yeah. of advice, including these things that you talked about now. But one of the things you pulled up that I absolutely loved was this great piece of advice. Always carry emergency food. Always. Because that's when we screwed up is when we're in the car or on a long, like I, I get caught between meetings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, my wife was actually practicing this for a while. I know where she was carrying stuff with her. Always carry emergency food so you don't have to go through the drive-thru, even if you're really yes. hungry. This is all stuff that I tell from a, a diabetic to other diabetics, to be sure. And that's where that discipline comes from, because I knew I wasn't going to be okay if I didn't do some of these things. But it turns out that it's exactly the same prescription to prevent heart disease and diabetes. Do these things and care always, always have some nuts, some fruit, something with you that you can eat when you need to. And now actually one of my secret little go-tos is there are these great little packs of uh, jerky that's made out of mushroom and other things. So something like that in a bag, in your cart, so you don't even think about it. It's there. It's ready for you. And then the other one, another one that you saw was don't show up hungry. When you go somewhere, you know, going to a potluck, going to a wedding, whatever, don't go hungry because you'll go wrong. I guarantee you will go wrong. I'm and people go, well, what's the point? You know, well, what I'm saying is have a little something so that you're not just famished. Because if you're not famished, your behavior will improve. I guarantee.
guys, this relates. We talk about this all the time here on the fallible man is always have a plan, right? For every goal, whether it's eating right, going to the gym, whether it's growing yourself in your existing job and increasing your skills there, right? It all starts with making a plan and our food seems to be where we kind of want to drop off on that. But that's what Lynn's talking about. Make a plan so you don't get into those pitfalls. And we haven't even talked about our emotional attachment to bad food. Maybe that's another show. <laughs> that may be another show because I, I have a lifelong emotional attachment to bad food. Most of us do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up, uh, like I said, with a very Southern family. So yeah. I think I was seven the first time I realized something could be fried. Oh, let me rephrase that. I think I was seven before I realized there was any way other than frying or grilling food. That's right. That, that's how that's how we did it. We fried everything or we grilled it. Yep. Those were pretty much the options. Yep. Uh, except for potlucks, because my daddy was a preacher, so I grew up going to church potlucks. Banana pudding. We got banana right. pudding and casseroles for days. Banana mm -hmm. pudding is one of my favorite foods. By the way, there's mac and cheese in the book, folks. That's perfectly healthy. Ooh. Mm-hmm. There we go. Mm-hmm. Now, Lynn, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this. You, okay. you may just have to come back because there, there's still I so much to, to say. Back. I, as you can tell, you wind me up and I'll just go and go because I want you guys to do this. I, I mean, I could be doing, I could be at the track, but I want you all being smart about what you eat. I want you to be thoughtful and do this. Now guys, you can find Lynn's website at lynnbowman.com where she has a very lovely website. And you can find her book there and you can find all kinds of good stuff, right? Podcast she's been on. If you want to find her other than just on my show, guys, she has a complete list of the different podcasts she's been a guest on. Guys, check it out. Lynn, do you do social media? Do you do anywhere else? Oh, yeah. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm not always the greatest about being there every day. <laughs> but, um, I, I, because it's hard. It's, it's not hard <laughs> to do better than I do. I, I'm on a lot of platforms. I'm, I'm only slightly on a lot of platforms. So this is the yeah, best place to try. find you. We try, but if if you go on my uh, um, website, I try and put connections there to everything that you need, so you'll know how to find me. Okay. And then send me notes. I, there's a place on there where you can send me a message. Got a question? Whatever. I'm happy to answer it. Look at that, guys. You can even ask her. Yourself, did you hear something today that res just resonated with you or that you didn't quite understand? You can go actually ask Lynn. You can follow up on this conversation all by yourself. Send me a note. Always, all of her links, all of the information will be in the description and the show notes uh, so that you can find Lynn. I'm actually waiting. I would have had your cookbook and already even tried it out before the show, except the passes shut down and Amazon couldn't come. I can't wait for you to have it. I want to hear how you do with everything. I'm I'm actually very excited about that. Lynn, thank you for taking the time to be here with us. Thank you for sharing and being on this mission. I'm so happy to be with you and, and would love to do it again. Absolutely. We'll have to do a part two. Hang out for a couple of minutes. Okay. Guys, as always, be better tomorrow because of what you do today. And we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast. Your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content 
and get your own Fallible Man gear.